Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Well, officially, good morning to everybody for the final Sunday of the of the year, huh? Um, it's been exciting for as we've gone through um, so far. We're barely scratching into Matthew right here, but this is, the, I think, the 22nd message as we've gone through Matthew. And um, to me, it's been so exciting as we've watched, and I, I say this every week, but to, to realize that you've got a Jewish man talking to Jewish people about a Jewish Messiah, and yet we sit here as a group of Gentiles. How exciting is that, you know? Um, in that there is no respecter of persons with God. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. But we're all one in Christ. And so we, we sit here and we've just celebrated, if you would, this week, the birth of Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. But he wasn't just the Messiah for the Jews, but he was the Messiah for the whole world, you know, that those who were in darkness have seen a great light. This is so exciting for me. I mean, this is what we're here for about, is just that, that while we were walking in darkness, we were the Gentiles, the, Gentile, you know, the, 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 the Galilee of the Gentiles, you know. We were the Gentiles walking in darkness, and yet the light came into the world. And then he didn't just come into the world, but then he has used other people as lights in the world. You are the light of the world, the city that is set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. There were other people that he enlightened, then he brought his light into, who then shared their candle with me. Does that make sense? Who brought that light, and I then am here 2,000 years or so later, still being excited about the light that pierced the darkness. How cold is that? And so... Matthew, then, writing this thing by the inspiration of God over a thousand years, almost 2,000 years ago, right? How exciting is this? That almost 2,000 years later, this thing is just as applicable, sometimes almost even more so, than it was then. It's just amazing. It's almost like he could have been here today writing this thing. The passage that we're going to get into today we're going to see that as well. But again, review-wise, we've seen his lineage, his birth, his forerunner, that Jesus is exactly who was proclaimed to be by the prophets, that he was going to come. Okay, um, And then he began his preparation phase with the, the time in the, the, the wilderness and in the, the immersion by John. But then he began to proclaim his message, and the message was metanoia, change the way you think. We take that as the word repent. But literally it means change the way you think. Because if you change the way you think, you'll ultimately change the way you act. Okay? Too many people are trying to change their actions, but they're not changing the thought process. Okay? That's just a reformation. We want a transformation. Okay? So, so change the way you think. And so then he begins to present then the uh, standards of the kingdom um, to the people. They are amazed with the authority that he's teaching with because he's proclaiming the message of God. So then we got into the display of his authority, where he revealed who he was, that he had the authority. And we saw that in his display of authority, he healed then um, those who had illnesses. He healed, um, uh, he, uh, come on, Bob, cast out demons. He even forgave sins. And so his authority was displayed in the physical realm, in the psychological realm, and in the spiritual realm. He has authority in every realm. I am a body a soul, and a spirit. And Christ reigns over every single segment of that. 
we then continued on where we saw that he delegated that authority to his disciples. He gave them the power to go out and cast out demons. He gave them the power to, to heal sicknesses. He gave them the power, remember this? Even to do what? Anybody remember? Raise the dead. Remember, because I asked, do you, think, do you believe that if God wanted you to raise a dead person, you could literally do that? And the answer, it should be yes. If God wanted me at this very moment to lay hands on someone who was theoretically dead from the, you know, Brian or Steve goes out there and they do the thing and, oh, he's dead, you know, uh, that you could lay hands on that person. If God wanted you to, okay, that you could literally lay hands on and that person could be risen up, okay? If that was God's will for that very moment that God was the one who gave you the power, not that you had the power or the authority, but that you did it in his authority by his power. So we could do that. The doubting of his authority then was John the Baptist. Remember how, uh, or at least the disciples of John the Baptist and how they came and they questioned whether this was. But then we also saw that there were the cities that he, he, that he frequented, Capernaum, the, the, the one that he had made as his adopted city that doubted, doubted who he was, the validity of it. But then Jesus comes back then in the midst of all this doubting and he declares, he makes a direct declaration, as we saw this just a couple weeks ago, a direct declaration of who he was. And he said that he was greater than the temple itself. And so if the temple is the house of God, and to the Jews there was nothing greater than that, if he said that he was greater than that, then he himself must be God himself. And then he declared that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Now I have that as capital L, small O-R-D, because that's in the, in the Greek, it would be Kyrios. But I believe, honestly, if I took that back over into the Hebrew, how would we spell that? All caps. Because, again, the one who was the... the Adonai, if you would, the Lord of the Sabbath was Yahweh, okay? And so Yahweh was the one who created the Shabbat, the Sabbath. On six days he created, seventh day he rested. And so he told him to remember the Shabbat, remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, because in six days God created heaven and the earth, and the seventh day he rested, and he gave us an example. And Jesus said that, that God didn't make man for the Sabbath, rather he made Sabbath for Man, he was looking out for us. He knew we needed a time of rest. And so Jesus declared himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. So in the Jewish mind, again, you've got to be Jewish here, okay? In the Jewish mind, they knew exactly what Jesus was declaring at that moment, that he was God on the earth, that he was Yahweh who had come to dwell within the midst. He had proclaimed that in Isaiah through Zechariah. There are numerous places where Yahweh says, I will come and I will dwell in their midst. And Jesus is basically telling them, Wake up. Smell the coffee. It's happening right now. But we see then what the religious establishment did with that. When they were face to face with the fact that, that God was in their midst, that the Messiah was here, they needed a decision to make. They had to go all the way back up to point one, right? Change the way you think. They either had to go back up and change the way they think, or they had to make another decision. They could either repent or reject. Rebel is a good word, too. Okay, it just looks better with the repent. You can change the, the P to a J, and anyways, and the N to a C, and you get the same word. Anyways, repent and reject. But rebel is really what it is. So you can either repent, change the way you think, or you can go against it, fight against it. What did they choose to do? Fight against it. And as we talked about even analogy this morning, um, they, not, they, they just choose to reject it. They chose to destroy. Remember we talked about this last week? They plotted against him how they might destroy him. And so um, I mentioned this in Sunday school that we watched a movie last night, the, um, Beyond the Mask. It's a good movie. Watch it. It's a Christian movie. Um, it was made by two homeschool um, cousins that wanted to do something. It's really kind of a phenomenal movie. But anyways, but, and I won't destroy it for you, but the whole 
core of it is the, the evil guy who's played by John Reyes Davies, okay, big name, okay, um, who wants to destroy the hero, okay, who is a bad guy, but he wants to be a good guy. He's looking for redemption. He doesn't know how to get it. Anyways, so you watch the movie. It's good, okay? And he doesn't, so John Reese Davies, okay, doesn't want to just kill him because he plots to kill him. He wants to destroy him. So if you watch the movie, you'll get it, okay? He wants, and this is exactly what they wanted to do to Jesus. They want to destroy him. So what do they do? They come and they say, and they don't want to just plot to kill him. They come out first and they say, oh, he's casting out demons by Beelzebul. By the Lord of the demons. By the prince of the demons. So they're calling him Satan himself. I mean, really, think about it. That's what they're doing. They're, 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 they're smearing him. They're trying to destroy everything about him. Again, I mentioned, I mentioned last week, I can't imagine taking God on. I mean, again, you have a decision to make. It's either God or not. And some of them, well, maybe they, I don't think they really believed it. I think they, really, they knew that their authority was in question, and they made a decision. That's why I think of like um, um, God hater Dawkins, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins. Um, yes, you guys know. I don't think he. I don't think he's an atheist. He'll claim to be an atheist. I don't think he's an atheist. I think he's a God hater. Does it make sense? I think he knows there's a God and he hates him. He's made a decision to hate him, not just. I mean, anybody who who goes so difficult, so 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 overboard to prove that God doesn't exist and that he's that he's a, a beast and an ogre has to believe that he exists. Does it make sense? He's a God hater, and so we need to understand that that Satan knows that God what exists. Did he submit to God? He didn't. What's he seeking to do? Destroy God, like you can. And yet he's a created being of God. It doesn't stop him, does it? Why should it make us wonder if any then any ministers of Satan on the earth stop at nothing? Okay, so they're seeking to destroy him. Okay, as we see that, and so all this is going on this this denunciation of his authority, the plotting to destroy him. Okay, just Chuck said, I, I appreciate Chuck saying it. This is all going on this day. So when we get to go into this chapter that we're going to be looking at now with his parables, this is the same. Day. Jesus goes into their synagogue, right? And he heals the, uh, the, the, the man, right? And he proclaims all this. And then he goes out and his, his disciples are, are getting, uh, eating grain on, this, on the Sabbath day, right? And so there's all these battles that are going on, okay? But that same day now, where they come and they begin to plot against him, this is the same day that we're, we're going to read um, about the parables. Now, so we're moving into this next phase of Matthew where we're going to see the instruction of the Messiah, okay? Um, and so over these next few chapters, we're going to see Jesus begin to equip, if you would, his disciples, his followers, because he's going to what? He's going to die. He's going to leave them, okay? And he told them it's going to be profitable for, for, for them, for him to leave, but he's going to start equipping them now. He's going to start teaching them, giving them doctrine, not just theologically, but also practically, that they live it out in their lives, okay? And so that's what we're going to begin to see. Before we begin to look at the parables, and we're going to spend two weeks on Matthew 13 and the parables of the kingdom, um, we got to talk about what a parable is in and of itself, okay? So, because I think a lot of times, um, parables are misunderstood because we have things in writing, and we tend to then do what? Pick them apart, 
Okay, like what I shared in my testimony, spending now two weeks on Psalm 23. Okay, looking at the words and, and, and twisting them and, and, and looking at them and breaking them apart. Okay, a parable wasn't meant to be written down. This is not an Aesop's fable kind of thing that you're going to break it all apart, but that's kind of the concept. If you kind of look at Aesop's fable, you read an Aesop's fable really quick and you get a what? A moral lesson. Boom. Bam. Okay? This is exactly it. So a parable was supposed to be oratorically given, spoken. Okay? It was not meant to be read, but to be heard. It teaches something new by putting the truth alongside something familiar. Uh, It was a word picture. Literally, the word parable is the the Greek word parabole. And parabole, bole, bello, means to throw. Para, like paragraph. Graphos is a writing. And so a paragraph is alongside a writing, okay? And so this is alongside a throw. So throwing alongside of. It literally is a parable, what it literally means. So it was a word picture that you were throwing alongside of a truth, trying to explain it. At this moment, honey... I feel like it's the World Series. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. We were down by two runs. I had three guys on base, and I struck out. Do you guys get it? How do I feel? I feel really, really bad. I feel demoralized. I don't want to be around anybody. You get that. Makes sense? Because I just did a word picture. And so in my word picture... You understand. Now, you can pick your own word picture, you know. Honey, I just feel like I was making an omelet for 12 people, and I cracked the last egg, and it was bad, and it went into the batter. You women get that one, right? What are you going to do? You're going to mix it up anyway. Just over to them. Anyway. <laughs> no one will even know. Yeah, they will. <laughs> they may not know immediately, but they'll know later. Anyway. So the, you get what I'm saying? So we, we tend to do this. We tend to have our own little ways of... And this is another one of these things I pray about, that God would allow me to do word pictures. He taught, Jesus taught with word pictures, that I would be able to be demonstrative in some way, that people would be able to to understand it and receive it in a way. So that's what a a parable is, okay? So it was not spoken to be studied at length and leisure, but to be produced an immediate impression and reaction. Bam! Okay? You read it. What did you get out of it? Make sense? You hear it spoken. You hear it spoken. I've been down south too long. You heard it spoken, okay? <laughs> you heard it spoken, and bam, what did you get? That's the intent of a parable, okay? Now, what's kind of exciting with this parable is that we're going to start with the parable of the sower. I like to call it the parable of the four, four soils. Jesus calls it the parable of the sower. He gives us the what? The interpretation of it. And this is um, important. Oh, flash of lightning. Okay. Because parables are to be exegetically interpreted. Okay? And you say, wow, that's a big word, okay? But it's important because we see this in our churches today. Exegesis versus eisegesis, okay? It's, a, it's two Greek words, okay? Put the other thing here, okay? Ex, ek means out from, out of. Ace means into. Jesus comes from gnosko, from genesis, gnosis, okay? Which is knowledge, okay? So you either take knowledge from or you put knowledge into. So when you read the Bible... You're either reading it to gain knowledge out from it, or you're going and when you're reading it, you're putting knowledge into it. You already know what it's going to say, and so you make it say what you want it to say, rather than what God actually had it say. Does that make sense? So we need to be careful then of reading too much into a parable. Okay, That tends to be, um, again, a significance. 
And I say that not for this parable, because again, Jesus is going to interpret it for us. But when, next week, when we get to it, I'll, hopefully I'll mention this again. J. Vernon McGee, who I, I love J. Vernon McGee. I mean, he's passed on, but I love J. Vernon McGee. But in this one point, I am so anti J. Vernon McGee. Okay? J. Vernon McGee says this is the most important chapter of the entire Bible. If you don't understand this chapter, you won't understand anything else. And then he goes down to the, the parable of the, the leaven in the lump, leavening the lump. If you, in one verse. If you don't understand that verse, you won't understand anything else. That is the, the most important verse in the entire Bible. I'm like, wow, I cannot believe that. Anyways, he did say that. You can check me out. Okay, so, because I, I love J. Vernon McGee, so I'm not picking on somebody. I, I, you know, it's not like I'm picking on, you know, somebody. You can put my names in there. Anyways, I like J. Vernon McGee, but I cannot believe he made that statement. Okay, and he's dead. He can't retract it. So, um, <laughs> so, but it's an amazing thing. So, but my point here is we've got to be careful. In the same way, judge not lest you be judged, right? We've got to be careful that we don't do those things that I, at least me, I know you guys don't do this, but you know, you don't look at other people and go, boy, I can't believe they think that way. Anyways, um, so I want to be careful. I don't do that. Parables, thirdly, then, are to be spiritually discerned. Look at what Jesus says. Chuck already read this, but beginning at verse 9, because we're not going to spend time on this. This is the time we're going to spend on, on this little portion. He who has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus gave them an answer. He said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Wow. That makes you stop. It should make you stop and think for a moment, right? Jesus purpose purposefully was speaking in word pictures and parables because he knew that those who wanted to hear, those who wanted to understand would. But those who didn't care to, wouldn't. It was given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Note that they're called what? Mysteries. In the minute he reveals them, they're no longer what? Mysteries. How fun is this, right? But to them it has not been given, verse 12, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have, how much? Abundance. Abundance. So, got to ask yourself, as I ask myself, do I have abundance? Is this exciting? I mean, am I just delving into God's word? Because, I mean, I know there's so much more here for me to learn. It kind of goes along with my testimony. I'm just really pumped when God just breaks out his word to me. and just shows me more and more and more and more. There's so much in it. This is going to be exciting to you. I mean, I just, I remember growing up before I was 23, the word of God wasn't exciting to me. I mean, I knew it. I knew Jesus died on the cross. I knew he raised from the dead on the third day. I could quote you the books of the Bible, but it wasn't exciting to me. But after I came to know him, after I met him, how exciting it is that the God who breathed everything into being wants me to know this stuff. This is better than the stats of the Pittsburgh Steelers for the last 50 years. Anyways, that's a word picture. You get it? That's right. I mean, you, Rodney got that. I mean, so Rodney, if I said, man, this is better than studying the Barry Switzer era of the Oklahoma. Wait, wait. Say again. He's pausing. He's, he's, he's angry at me now. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, I get it. You're, oh, you're struggling. Let's talk a little bit more, Rodney. Anyways. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, how, how, how pumped this stuff ought to be, okay? So to him who has, more will be given. So, so he has abundance. But the other side's there. 
whoever does not have even what he does have, what? Will be taken away. So before we move into what this parable means, you really have to ask yourself, which side of the equation are you on? Jesus gives both sides. Again, when you read God's word, is this exciting? Or when you read God's word, is it, oh, good grief, I get nothing out of this. If it's, I get nothing out of this, you really need to ask yourself whether you know the God who created it. I'm not picking on you. I don't want to get there on that day and find out that so many people sat under my teaching, never, under, never got it. Hearing they did not understand. But as we're going to see in this parable, that's not what I'm responsible for. That's what you're responsible for. And that's exactly what this parable is going to be all about. Okay? So let's move into this parable. Oh, as you, as you consider, carefully consider the picture, it becomes a mirror in which you see yourself, and many people do not like to see themselves, right? So let's move into the, the parable. Jesus calls it the parable of the, the sower, okay? And so in each one of these, we're going to have to look at the interpretation and then the application. Who is the parable really talking about, and who is it not talking about? So again, Jesus gives the parable in the first couple of verses, at least what we have recorded as a couple of verses, but then he turns around and he explains it to his his, um, his disciples, okay? And so down in, um, beginning at verse 18, he gives them then the, the, uh, the interpretation of it. So this one's pretty simple, right? I don't have to come up with an interpretation. And if I come up with the wrong interpretation, you all should what? Should be able to figure, immediately figure this one out. Hey, Bob, read the Bible, okay? And, you know, quit preaching what you want to preach and start reading the Bible, okay? But we're not told by Jesus, beginning at verse 18, who the sower is. So there's an assumption here. Okay, I'm just being straight. The assumption is that it's Jesus himself. Okay, That because of, again, the context in which we're, being, we're reading this thing, they are denouncing his authority. He's the one who has been what? Proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God. As we're going to see in a moment, the seed is the word of the kingdom. Okay, So it's the message of the kingdom that it's been given. So, so originally, who is that sower? He is. He is, and then his disciples, because he delegated authority. By application, then, it's who? It's us. Because Jesus says at the end of his ministry that he commands us to go into all the world and keruso, preach the gospel, euangelion, the good news. Okay? And so the word preach, I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. That's my, my position. That's my function. I'm to equip you and to teach you, to train you. Who is the preacher? All y'all, including me. We are. Okay? We are all called as disciples of Jesus Christ to go out and herald. So, the Greek word keruso, if you follow any classic, um, I'm not into operas, but if you follow any of the classic like stuff like that, you know the three... Tenors. One of those is Enrique Caruso. And when Enrique Caruso, he just belts it out. Amen, Jim. I have you, have you come up and do it. Anyways, he, he belts it out. That's exactly. It's a beautiful illustration. It's like God made this tenor as a, as a word picture for us to understand what the word means. So every time I think of this word, I think of Enrique Caruso just standing on stage just belting this thing out. Everybody, thousands of people in that auditorium. He doesn't need a microphone. I don't need a microphone. This isn't so you can hear me. <laughs> I don't need one. 
Okay, now some people are more soft-spoken, but the whole point is when we're belting out the Word of God, not that it's like like Spurgeon in, 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 in his church in, in London, you know, or me or whatever, but it's just that we proclaim it. We herald it. The King is coming. The King is coming. Oh, He's glorious in His splendor. Wait till you see the King. Oh, but He's also a righteous King. You better put away some of that stuff because when He comes, He's not going to like it too much. Make sense? That's what the herald was. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be going into all the world. Jesus said to his disciples, you what? You shall be witnesses. Not, I hope you are, but you shall be witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If the Holy Spirit has come upon you, what are you going to do? You're going to witness. For them, it was in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. They liked being in Jerusalem, so they didn't go anyplace. So Acts 8.1 came along, and they were what? Scattered. Scattered by what? Persecution. Do you know what? When the church gets lethargic, when the church gets apathetic, they're just like Israel. God has to treat the church just like he treats just like he treats Israel. You may not want to hear this, but I believe persecution's coming. It already is here. We're, we're, we're the ostriches with our head in the, in the sand. It's on the doorstep. You can proclaim any other name you want to. You start teaching in Jesus' name, you get clamped down. Facebook's censoring stuff now. I mean, censorship's happening all over the place. And we're like the frog in the kettle. It just continually is heating up, heating up, heating up. We're getting boiled. We are told to go out, to be sowers, to proclaim the message, to broadcast. And that's where the word broadcast, you know, with your little seed, you go out and you have a what? A broadcaster. That's what we're told to do, to broadcast, just to broadcast. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're told to be what? Ambassadors for Christ. What an honor. I'm not a servant. I'm not a slave of Jesus. I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador. I mean, I mean, it look like an ambassador, but I am. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but what? God gave the increase. As we're going to see the theme through this thing, it's not my job to save somebody. Do you get it? I can't grow an apple tree. I can't grow a peach tree. All I can do is what? Plant a seed. Plant a pit. Whatever. All I can do is plant the seed and then what? Water it. Fertilize it. Pray over it. Really, think about it. Because I can't make that seed become a tree. Only God does that. My job is to do what? Plant the seed. So we move on. Okay? Because... As we start talking about the sower, the sower is going to what? Sow his seed. And we're going to look at this thing because, honestly, you could, if you think too much into this thing, you can think to yourself, what an idiot the sower is. Who would throw seed on what? On, on, on a pathway. Whatever, okay? Or you can start talking about the seed. Maybe the seed was what? Bad seed. Okay? So... But what do we know about the seed? First of all, we know Jesus said it's the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. 
that leads me in my application to ask myself, what kind of seed am I sowing? What kind of seed are you sowing? When you are out there talking, not just witnessing, but throughout the day, you, we, like to, we like to compartmentalize everything, right? So, so now it's my witnessing time. So like Jimmy was on his, his illustration with golf, right? Yeah. Uh, so did you have a certain spot in the, in the golfing time where your alarm went off and said, hey, it's, it's, it's witnessing time? <laughs> that was the eighth hole. The rest of the holes were fine. He could do whatever he wanted to on holes one to seven. And then 9 to 18. But on the 8th hole, he had predetermined that this was going to be the witnessing hole. Okay? So on the 8th hole, I don't even know what hole it was. I'm joking. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm making a joke. That's not how life is. I am witnessing. I am sowing seeds throughout the day. I just don't know which seed's going to what? Take root. That's exactly right. It's not my job. We're going to talk about it as we go. It's not my job. My job is to sow the seed. So I have to ask myself, what seed am I sowing? We must sow the word of God, not human wisdom. It's the word of God that brings faith, not scientific facts. So many times we want to get into this logical debate with people. I don't have to get into a logical debate. Again, I can witness in 10 seconds. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Boom! You just heard the entire gospel in one nutshell. One verse, Romans 6.23. If you can memorize only one verse and share it, boom, you can memorize, and I did it in less than 10 seconds. You can memorize that fast. I mean, you memorize. You can witness that fast. All you can do is be able to tell that one verse, and now you've given, given somebody the entire plan of the gospel. They're a sinner. They're going to die. They're going to be separated from God, but God loves them, and he gave them a gift, right? It's totally free, but they have to do it what? Through Jesus Christ. It's it. It's all in a nutshell. Now, you can expand it based upon that. But if all you are is a simple, and I don't mean this wrong, I'm using the wrong terms, so it can be taken out of context. But you understand what I'm saying. A simple sower. Make sense? All you're doing is just kind of whatever, okay? That's it. All you got to do that. You don't have to get into evangelism's explosion, which I know that. You don't have to get into way of the master, which is good as well, okay? You don't have to know all those things, and you don't have to do all those things. You have to just be able to say it. That's why, apparently... I, again, as I mentioned in Sunday school, I was watching some other video than everybody else was watching about this priest in, in, in um, Penn. Yeah, Penn, whatever his name is, Teller. And, um, and so, no, it's Penn and Tyler. But his, his last name's not Tyler. Oh, just Penn of the Penn and Tyler. Yeah, what's his last Gillette, Gillette, Penn Gillette. And this priest says he's given five minutes to share the gospel on national TV, and he says, I can't do that. How sad. Man, quote Romans 6.23 a hundred times. <laughs> I mean, if you can't do anything else, just, you know, I can't do that. I couldn't do that. And he, and, and he does, doesn't do anything. Doesn't, doesn't give the gospel at all. How sad. I, and I know, again, what do I expect? But I don't want to pick on a certain denomination. I don't know if he was an Episcopalian priest, if he was a Catholic priest, or which priest he was. I don't know. So I'm not picking on any certain denomination there. How sad, regardless of what denomination he was, if he's supposed to even be a priest... I mean, he's supposed to be a pastor, if you would, whatever. He ought to be able to know enough of the gospel to be able to share something in five minutes. Again, regardless of whether Penn Gillette gets saved or a thousand other people who heard the message got saved. Wow, it's mind-boggling. As I shared in Sunday school, I wanted to go through my computer screen and grab him. Not Penn Gillette, the priest. I'm just like, ah, you're killing me. Sadly, I mean, I say that, but sadly, he was killing a whole lot of people. Because he didn't proclaim the message. Who might have come to life if they heard the truth. 
our job is to broadcast the Word of God, not to worry about the types of soil. And that's where we're going to look at real quickly here. The types of the soils. I like to call this the parable of the four soils. Because again, as I hear this parable, I don't hear a parable about necessarily a sower. I don't hear a parable necessarily about the seed. He's not getting into in the, in just the picture of it. Remember? Now, he gives us some more understanding of it, okay? But if you just heard it, the focus of this parable wouldn't be on the sower or the seed. The focus of this parable would be on what? The soils. And there are... We like to talk about four types of people, and we like to do the disc test, the D, the I, the S, and the C. Jesus boils it down to four types of people. But they're not the D, I, S, and C. The first one we have is the one with the unresponsive heart. He calls this the what? The hard soil, the pathway. As the sower went out to sow a seed. And so I shared this in the past. I, I, I saw this. So when Marcia and I were in Israel back in... 88, the summer of 88, I believe. We had a, um, a Christian archaeologist who was our guide. It was a study trip for me, so I was getting a grade for this. And, um, and so um, we had an archaeologist who was our, our guide, and we just went into Galilee, and we stopped in the middle of nowhere. I mean, the bus, he just says, the bus stop. And we say, all right, everybody out. And we walked through a, a sheep field, and I won't go into all that, but and he talked about John 10. And he quotes, and he had all this ver- the Bible memorized. It was so exciting. I mean, this is an archaeologist, man. And he just has all the Bible memorized. And so he just starts, he's Jesus as we're going along. And he starts speaking Jesus in the sheepfold. But from the sheepfold, we went down. And there was this pathway that went toward a, a, another archaeological dig, which was the Cana of Galilee. Okay? And, uh, but as we're walking along toward where we thought we were going to, the, to this archaeological dig, right? He's walking in front of us, and all of a sudden he turns around. And he says, the sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, and so he begins, he becomes who? Jesus. And he starts talking. So he's, he's walking backwards. He must you know, know this path pretty good, right? Anyways, and he says, and as he sowed his seed, some of it fell upon the, the, the pathway. Some of it fell upon the hard soil. And sure enough, we were walking on a what? A path, right? And then he goes on. He says, and some of it fell upon the rocky soil. And sure enough, as he does that, you know, on... This side, there's kind of a hill with quartz and that kind of stuff. But on this side, there was this rocky soil. And then he continued on, and some of it went upon a thorny soil. And here, as you're looking, you realize what? There's thorny soil, and then some of it went upon the, the good soil. And sure enough, there was a, a farm right there. It was so cool. I mean, and so I could picture Jesus. And that's exactly why Gordy did this for us. He wanted us not to see all the shrines and everything else. He wanted us to see the real land and how Jesus would have walked. And I can just picture it now, how Jesus was just, he was just walking with his, with his disciples, you know. All this has happened, and now he's just walking out there, and he turns to them and says, and he gives them this word picture, because they just happened to be there. For us, we don't get it, but if you grew up on a farm, George, you might get this, right? I mean, it just kind of makes sense. And so, so Jesus is there, and so he talks about then this unresponsive heart. And the unresponsive heart is where the seed goes, onto this pathway. It's been hardened over usage, if you would. Now, I'm reading into it now, which we don't want to do, but what the whole impact of this was that because of the hardness of the heart, it couldn't, what? Receive the soil. It couldn't immediately, what I say, the soil, receive the seed. It couldn't immediately receive the seed. It couldn't immediately be planted into it. So the word there. Um, literally means to be planted into. It couldn't be planted into immediately. It just it couldn't happen that way. There was the opposition then of 
Satan, of the devil, that happened at that moment. Because as the seed is sown, and the heart is so hard that it doesn't immediately receive it, right? Then it gives opportunity for Satan and his minions to come in and snatch it away. Literally, that's the same word that we talk about with the church being snatched away, called the, the rapture, or the Greek word harpazo, okay? That's snatched away. That the Satan comes and he snatches it away. So that... that there's not the opportunity for that heart to be what? Softened to it or to wind up receiving it. So there are people, when you're out there broadcasting the word of God indiscriminately, because God is not a respecter of persons, that as you scatter the seed, as you speak it, you may say to yourself, oh, that guy's kind of hard, man. I ain't going to receive anything. I'm not going waste to my, waste my time. I'm not going to waste the word on him. Why am I going to give him a tract? Make sense? You can't say that because you don't what? You don't know. But it could be very well that they are. And that you may give him a tract and he may take that tract and do what? Throw it in the garbage. But as we saw in Ezekiel, right? When God told Ezekiel to proclaim the message, he said whether they hear it or whether they refuse it. It doesn't matter. It's not your job. It's not your job to worry about what they're going to do with it. You give out the word. If you got tracts, okay? So I'm working on this. Pray for me, okay? That I can fit tracts in my... My phone case, I've been trying to figure out how to do this, you know. They get a little bent up, and so I've been kind of worried about that. But God challenged me and said, don't worry about it, it's still my word. And, um, you know, <laughs> that, that I can open up my, my gunsling, and I can pull out the sword, and, you know, and, 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 and get pulled out of the scabbard. And you got some weapons. You got, yeah. And um, anyways, so that you pull out the sword, and you give it to somebody, you know. Sow the seed. If you can do nothing else, we got a bunch of tracks back there. We got more that I can reload that with, and we're willing to buy, 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 buy. Okay, get all the tracks. You don't have to worry about buying your own tracks. If you don't want to buy your own tracks, you can't afford to buy your own tracks. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. We'll get you the tracks, like Jimmy. Right? You got four Bibles now, and you got a hundred tracks, and you got a bunch of Gospel Johns. Right? He's loaded for his next trip. When he comes back, if he's used them all, I'll reload him. Okay? Because he's going to go places I can't go. He's going to go places that you can't go. He's going to have people that you can't see. And guess what? You're going to meet people that I can't see, and you're going to meet people that he can't see. And I'm going to meet people that you don't see, and I'm going to go places that you don't go. God's placing us where he wants us so we can do what? Sow the seed. I don't have to stick around and to see whether... I can't wait till we get to heaven. Can I give you just one? It's not about me, but one glorious illustration. You know most of the story, and the person I'm about to share it won't mind at all me sharing. My brother. When Marsh and I first got saved, we sent evangelistic letters to my, to my family. My brother disowned me for eight years. For eight years, he wouldn't talk to me. And so I'd send him birthday cards. I love you, Jim, when you're ready to talk, talk to me. He wanted to go into a funeral for a baby, and that's what God used to, to, to soften his heart, okay? My brother, I mean, you guys... He's leading mission trips in Africa and all through um, South America. And I can't share, but there's something glorious that's going to be happening after 2020 that he's, he's going to be taking the next step further with it. It's just so exciting for me. And the Lord just overwhelmed me with that over the last couple of weeks that, you know, I get jealous over my brother now because of what God is doing in his life. And yet I know this is like Paul talking in Philippians chapter 4 about fruit abounding to my account. Not saying it's all about me because I, I can't save anybody, but God allowed me to be a part of it because Sandy, his wife, will come back and tell that it was those letters that first started 
that, this is her words, not mine, that started to plow the field, that broke up, the, that, that caused them to start fighting against it, but thinking about it. Do you get it? You, you don't know. You just don't know. When you sow the seed, when you give them the track, people are going to get mad at you. They might get mad at you. They may not get mad at you. But whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's God's word. Do you get it? But if you don't do it, if you won't give it, the hard soil will never come the good soil. It's going to stay the what? Hard soil. The rocky soil. Infatuation versus inner conviction. They receive the word immediately. That's what Jesus said, right? It says it receives it immediately. Receives the word. Wow, that's exciting. But it doesn't have a place for a root. And immediately, trial, tribulation, persecution comes along. And what happens? It withers away. Whoa, 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 whoa. I wasn't in this for that. Warn people. If you have an opportunity to continue to talk to them, warn them. Jesus said, tribulation is going to come. Be of good cheer. You know, in this world, you're going to have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So if you're really a believer, when persecution and trials come, what will be able to eventually happen? You'll stand. Now, it may be a little bit of a time, but when you're scorched by tribulation and persecution, then we'll know that we are going to persevere through this because Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 tells us, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Do you know, I mean, not, I, I know that I'm saved. I know that I know that I know. Make sense? But in the end, do you know when the ultimate testimony that I'm saved is? When I die in the faith. Or when Jesus comes back and takes me. That's even better, huh? Then I don't have to die in the faith. <laughs> I can just go straight through. Okay? But when you die in the faith, that gives, bears great testimony to the fact you never what? You never turned away. There are people who turn away, and we think that people lose their salvation. You don't lose your salvation. You never had it. You never had it. You played a game. There was an infatuation with stuff. It was never an inner conviction. Again, 23 years. I would have told you I was a Christian. I could tell you a whole lot of stuff about it. But I wasn't a true believer. I had never committed my life to Jesus Christ. Now, have I been perfect since I was 23? Far from it. But now, when I sin, I am convicted of the sin, and it bothers me because of my relationship with my father. Before I sinned, before I was 23 and I sinned, it didn't bother me. It only bothered me when I got caught. When adverse things happened because of it. That's what bothered me. Now, when I sin, it bothers me that I sinned, not that I got an adverse reaction to it or got caught. That's the difference. And so people can say what they want to say, but I know when I was 23, my attitudes and my heart changed. In the end, we hold fast to the end. Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Persecution is going to come. If you endure to the end, you'll be saved. God will deliver you. He's promised that. So these ones, were the, they received it, but it's in the rocky soil. They wither away. Understand, there are a lot of people, and I say this because there's a debate now, whether who are saved. Is it the rocky, thorny, good soil all saved because they what? 
They sprouted. There was life. Or was it only the good soil? I'm here to tell you I believe it's only the good soil. Again, impact, impact, impact. When Jesus gives this parable, the whole impact is producing fruit. Do you understand? That a lot of seed goes out there, but it keeps withering away, keeps withering away, keeps withering away. But there's only one good soil that produces fruit. The third, the third one is the thorny soil. Okay? The thorny soil I like to refer to as a preoccupied heart. Okay? And Jesus says they're preoccupied by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. He already talked about this in his kingdom teaching when he says that you can't serve what? Two masters. You're either going to love the one or you're going to hate the other. You can't serve God and mammon or materialism, the things that money buys. is literally what mammon is. Okay? And so we read in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. How many people? None. <laughs> yeah, two masters, right. No matter how many masters. But no one can do it. No one. We think we can. I can, I can, I can do this. You can't do this. 1 John 2, 15 to 16, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay, so when I am dwelling in that lust of the flesh, when I'm dwelling in that lust of the eyes, when I'm dwelling in the pride of life, I am not dwelling in who? In God. Do you get it? Okay, now it doesn't mean that we'll never sin. Remember 1 John chapter 1, right, says, if you say you have not sinned, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you say you have not sinned, you make God a liar, and his word is not in you. Okay, so the whole idea is you are a sinner, You will continue to sin. You will continue to struggle. But if your lifestyle, if your entire lifestyle is living that way and it doesn't bother you, then you're a friend of the world, not a friend of God. If you're in love and enamored with the things of the world, but not with the things of God. If you're listening more to the seed of the world than the seed of God, then you've got to ask yourself. So there's ones that are in the the thorny soil, they begin to grow. But then the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches grow up around it. They're the what? The, the, the weeds, if you would. And they choke out. <coughs> choke it out. And so it doesn't come to fruition. It winds up dying. But that fourth soil is the fertile soil. I like to refer to it as a re- responsive heart. Note what Jesus says about them. In this soil, verse 23. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and what? Understands it. What does it tell us, argument from silence, about those other soils? They didn't understand it. They didn't understand what they were getting into, if you would. Does it make sense? There's a commitment. Jesus talks about the guy who's going to build the tower, right? But he, what does he fail to do? Consider the cost. So he begins to build a tower, and all of a sudden he doesn't have what to finish it. And it just stands there, and everybody then knows that, wow, what a, what a, what a sorry guy that was. Or someone, or a, a, a ruler, and we've seen this if you've ever studied military history, you know, a ruler who decides to go to war, but he hasn't what? He hasn't figured out how many the other guy had and how many he had. He didn't think about the strength of the other guy. He didn't think about the weakness that he had. And he went to war and he found out what? 
Uh-oh, yeah. He, he didn't have enough. It was a bad moment, okay? Especially when you're playing castle risk and you don't go for three, three to one odds. Anyways, anyways. Or even when you have three to one odds and you roll really bad. Anyways, so <laughs> things can go bad, okay? And so the reality is that when you come to salvation, there's a matter of understanding. And so Jesus said, this one who has a good heart, a fertile soil of a heart, they hear it, they receive it, they hear it. They don't just receive it, but they listen. They hear it, and they understand it. They think about it. They process it. They understand it. They know what's going on. And then they what? They produce fruit. Note, this is the difference between all the other, neither, none of the other ones what? Produce fruit. He didn't say the one in the thorny soil produced fruit, and then it was choked out. The one in the rocky soil produced fruit, and then it died because of the... the none of them produced fruit. But this one produces fruit. So in Galatians 5, 16, down in verse, chapter 6, verse 8, we read about the what? The fruit of the Spirit. Okay? First, we, we, we read about the, the works of the flesh, right? And we're told that, that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the Spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh against the Spirit. And these are contrary to one another, so that we cannot do the things we would. And then he goes into the works of the flesh are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, sorcery, hatred, idolatry, selfishness. Hatred, idolatry, sorcery, jealousies, contentions, dissensions. Um, anyways, and he says, it's such the like, right? And then he goes into the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. And he says, in knowing this, if we're walking in the Spirit, then we mortify the flesh. And then he goes into chapter 6, and he talks about us ministering to one another. And he ends all this by saying, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, he shall also what? Reap. If you sow it, you will reap it. It's just a natural thing, okay? So if you sow unto your flesh, you will of your flesh reap corruption. If you sow unto the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That's what God says through His Word, okay? It's not me. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Anybody know that passage? Good. All right, wait. All together now, ready? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay? So God has desired, God has decreed, that if we come by faith, because of his grace... That the end result's going to be what? Good works. There's going to be fruit. So as someone shared this morning in the testimony time about repentance. Was that you, Gil? Yeah. yeah. That in the end, repentance is going to be revealed in my, my life. If I really am changing the way I think, it's really going to be seen in my life. I just, it's just going to happen that way. Okay? So whatever you sow, that also should you reap. If you have... True salvation, it's going to be, you're going to walk in the works that God has given to you. John 15, 1 to 8. You can go and check this out later. But Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the? Anybody who abides in me and I in him, the same what? Bears much fruit. Okay? And therein my Father is glorified. He said, if somebody's not in the vine, they're not going to what? They're going to, wither. They're going to be looking all dried up and withered. And they're going to be gathered up and they're going to be cast into the fire. And people say, oh, no, those are believers. No, they, were never, they were fake. They're not genuine. 
They never were believers. They look like, when you look from the, the, from the distance, it looks like they may be part of the, you know, like it's a, um, a vine or, or not a vine, but a, uh, a branch. But when you get close, you realize what? It's not attached to the, the vine. There's a lot of people in church today. Hopefully not this church, right? A lot of people in churches today who are fake branches. And in that day, Jesus is going to gather them up. And they're going to be cast into the fire. How do you know if you're a real branch, if you're really connected to the vine? Jesus said, you will produce fruit. And you will glorify the Father. So you've got to ask yourself, what fruit is in my life? What fruit is in my life? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you see it growing in your life? Those are the fruit of the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is living in your life, these are the produce. This is what's going to come out on that tree. So if you ever go to my website and you see my, um, the, the coat of arms I have, okay, on the shield, I have a tree. And it has nine fruit on it. And you can go in, you can click on that, and it'll give you the whole explanation of what, what it's all about. But the fruit... It's the fruit of the Spirit. I pray, God, I want to be like that tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever it does shall prosper. I want to be that tree. Oh, how often. I'm, it's like my roots are, you know, are, are, are looking over for the world you know, and wanting to bring in acidic lye or whatever. You know? And it's like, oh, no, God, I want it to be sunk into your word, into your spirit. Romans 8, therefore, is, there is no condemnation to those who are what? You're in Christ Jesus. But then he, and we love that verse. But he goes on and he talks then about the two different people who are being led of the flesh and the being led of the spirit. And if you are being led of the spirit, then you're going to produce fruit because you are in him. So, in the end, which soil best describes you? Are you the hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil? The fertile soil. Is your life, if your life does not reflect the fertile soil, are you willing to ask the Lord to come into your field? We don't have an invitation. It's all about you, where you're at. It's between you and the Holy Spirit, between you and God. If you're not that fertile soil, are you willing to cry out to God and say, God, I'm not that fertile soil. I want to be that fertile soil. Are you fulfilling the role of the sower? What kind of seed are you sowing? Finally, is there then the need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you alone are the Holy One. There is no God besides you. And you have given us the message which you want us to proclaim. Forgive us, Lord, for wasting so much time, for squandering opportunities that you have given to us. Help us to redeem the time knowing the days are evil, that you may be glorified in the fruit that abounds from our lives because of your presence in it. In Jesus' name. Amen.